Welcome to the New Hope Podcast. Our mission at New Hope is to engage our city with the love of Jesus, one relationship at a time. We pray this message encourages you in encountering God's love and displaying it to your city. We hope to see you soon. If you would, begin to make your seats and grab your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be, uh, our, well, we're in our Ten Commandments series, so we'll be in Exodus 20 just to read that quickly, and then we'll spend a lot of our time in Matthew uh, chapter 5 and some time in Proverbs chapter f- uh, 5 as well. Um, in, as we continue just in our Ten Commandment series, uh, our text is Exodus 20, 14, commandment number 7 of the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. We're going to talk about this. We're going to unpack this. This is going to be a sensitive topic um, in a, for obvious reasons as we just begin to talk about adultery specifically as well as um, um, just a biblical, what the Bible says about a biblical sex ethic. And so let me just say as a way, kind of a few introductory thoughts. One, uh, if you are here as a guest, maybe for the first or second time, welcome to New Hope. If someone invited you today, they did not invite you specifically because they knew we were going to be talking about this commandment. So just let me throw that out there. They did, they did not invite you for that reason. Um, but we are faithfully walking through the Ten Commandments, and we value uh, the Scripture. We say our first value is reading Scripture, and what we mean by that is that the Bible is our ultimate guide for life and truth. And because the Bible is our ultimate guide for life and truth, we do not skip verses. And so when we come to verses like this that are sensitive and personal in many different ways, and then get on a, a topic as we will talk about adultery and then more inclusively about a biblical sex ethic, um, we don't skip over these verses. And so if you're here today, for whatever reason, just know that your friend did not invite you specifically for that uh, reason. Second way of kind of introductory uh, statement is more of a, on the sensitive side of things, recognizing that for many, that this truth hits really close to home, and maybe even specifically hit your home. And I just want to say a couple of things as we get started. Is my desire as a pastor to speak God's Word with grace and truth, meaning truth that we're not going to shy away from what God's Word says, but also recognize that in the foundational truths of God's Word, the, the gospel is that there is grace amidst our sin. And so I want to say that my desire today is to balance well grace and truth, And so let me speak to those who have been on the receiving side of sexual immorality and of adultery within your marriage and within your relationship. I hope that today would be a sermon that would not just bring up old scars and old wounds, but be a sermon that would also help bring healing into maybe your heart in that situation. I want to speak to those who have, as we look at this text and as we think about the definition of adultery, for those who have committed adultery, I I want you to hear me say that God's Word and God Himself offers grace in repentance. And so there's a call that maybe today that God's Word would bring a challenge of conviction and repentance. And if this is something that you have already repented of, I pray that in today's sermon, as I expound God's Word full of truth, that you would also see that it is not, the goal is not to condemn, but the goal is to bring about conviction for the sake of responding in repentance to God and His Word and receive His grace and forgiveness. Third thing as way of introduction as I, wanna, I want us to see that as we, in a second when I define what we'll be using as the working definition of adultery for tonight, 
The third thing I want you to say is that this and what, we'll, what we're going to talk about applies to every person here, single and married. Oftentimes when we think about adultery, it is in the context of thinking about the covenant of marriage. And we're going to see tonight that Jesus expands on that and uh, we'll recognize that this is a truth and a text that applies to every single one of us, whether we are singled or married. Last way of introduction is um, in uh, preaching classes and in communication classes, whether preaching or just basic communication, they'll tell you that you need an introduction, and your introduction needs to captivate your audience and earn the audience's respect to go, hey, is this an important thing to talk about? Well, this is just one of those things. As we begin to talk about sex uh, in a healthy and mature way, and I recognize that there are some younger kids uh, in the room, and so this is a PG-13 topic, but I will talk about it in a PG-type way. And so we'll talk about what God's Word says, but we'll also do it in a way that um, I think is applicable. And so as by way of introduction to captivate uh, you, the truth is, is this is a topic that doesn't really need an introduction to captivate. Because whether we re- like it or not and realize it or not, uh, sex and the, the idea of, of sex and what it means is all pervasive in our culture. One of the notions that our culture would say about a Christian biblical sex ethic is that we are behind the times, and that we are um, very uh, negative, and that we are negative towards sex, and we're negative towards these things. And yes, we would say, as we look at this, that we hold a high view of what God designed uh, for this, but I think a lot of times our culture uh, gives us a hard time because our culture is very different and has a very different teaching and understanding of sex. And so, I remind us that our value of reading Scripture is that we turn to the Bible as our ultimate guide for life and truth. And so for us who say we are followers of Jesus, it is important for us to go, what does God say and what does He lay out for us about this? And so let me define adultery, and then we'll jump into our sermon uh, in more specific ways. Adultery, I'm simply defining it as our working definition tonight, is any form of sexual immorality that violates the context of marriage. Let me say that again. Adultery being defined as any form of sexual immorality that violates the context of marriage. One last thing, and then we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, is I want to encourage you to take notes tonight. I want to encourage you to have your Bibles in front of you. I want to encourage you to underline. I'm going to give, um, I want to be as clear as possible as I walk through this to make my arguments clear, and I'm going to give a lot of passages of Scripture, especially towards the end. And some of these things, you're not going to be able to remember it, and so I want to encourage you to write it down. And I want you to encourage you to go back and read some of these things. Exodus 20:14, you shall not commit adultery. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus would say this. You have heard, verse 27, Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So Jesus is taking the Ten Commandment, and he's about to expand on it and teach it. Well, we want to listen to the great teacher Jesus as he's talking about his own teaching. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intents has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Two truths that we'll unpack tonight as we talk about uh, this Seventh Commandment. Truth number one is that we are to live in sexual purity. We are to live in sexual purity. I want to unpack that. We'll spend the majority of time right here in this first truth, live in sexual purity. Because the Ten Commandments, the commandment number seven, do not commit adultery, is a challenge to us to live in sexual purity. 
And as we begin to think about that commandment, it's real simple for us to go, well, technically, let's give a real technical definition of adultery, and we often think of it as I'm married, and when if I were to have uh, sexual intimacy with someone outside of my spouse, then I have committed adultery. And we're able to, we oftentimes want to give this technical definition, but Jesus comes in and says, hey, actually, that I tell you that if you've looked at a woman with lustful intent in your heart, you have already committed adultery and so, what, so it's, he's raising the bar and calling us to sexual purity that goes beyond just the physical act of sexual intimacy with someone who is not our spouse. He raises the bar and he says, it speaks to your heart, it speaks to your mind, it speaks to all of who you are. It's dealing with a challenge to sexual purity in all ways. I want to give a defense to why the Bible says we should live in sexual purity the truth number one, kind of within that, live in sexual purity, that's truth number one. Subtruth is first, is God gives us marriage as a gift. So God's gift of matrimony is why we are to live in sexual purity first. Genesis 2, 24 through 25, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they, they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. It's this verse 25, that he and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. When we begin to think about nakedness, is, and this is, uh, this is a complete nakedness, is a, is a place of vulnerability before someone else. When, when we are completely revealed before others, there's this place of vulnerability, and they were able to be fully vulnerable in the matrimony of marriage, a full commitment to one another, and they were not ashamed. And as we begin to unpack this truth more and more, I want us to see that this, we really believe that marriage uh, is a gift that God has given us, and specifically sexual relations and intimacy are to be in the confines of marriage. So we live in sexual purity because we see that it's been given to us, marriage, as a gift. Second, we see God's guide towards sexual intimacy. What is the guide that God gives us as we look at marriage and we look at what God says about sexual relations he would say this, and this is a working definition of all of biblical theology, and I'm not giving all the text to defend this, but we can dialogue about this if you don't believe this assertion I'm about to make. But here's the, here's the overall teaching that I would give us about God's guide towards sexual intimacy is this, is that sex is designed between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. Real simple. That sex is de designed to be between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. When we look at the, an exhaustive understanding of a biblical sex ethic, we would have to come to this conclusion. God created this as a gift, and He designed sexual intimacy. And we'll unpack more and more why, but let me just lay out that challenge and that assertion that sex is designed between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. Here's where I want us to flip to Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to spend some time unpacking this. And as I spend some time unpacking this, I want you to begin to think about the, uh, some of the other Ten Commandments that are written in negative form, right? So, for example, do not murder, right? That's a negative that also has a positive assertion. Do not commit murder. What should we do instead? We talked about last week. We should have a genuine, godlike love for our neighbor, and we begin to talk about how Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 also deals with anger and hatred. And he says that if you hate and you uh, write off someone in, um, if you write off someone in your life, then you have, in a sense, murdered them in your heart because you're, you're not loving them the way that God's called. 
And so when we look at the negative in the Ten Commandments, there's always a positive side of things. So like, uh, the, I mean, there's an, obviously a positive in the first half, honor your father and mother, but after that it gets towards the negative. So do not commit, uh, do not murder someone. You are to love someone. Do not lie. Therefore, have integrity. Like there's a positive. So when we look at uh, God's guide, uh, and we turn to Proverbs chapter 5, God's guide towards sexual intimacy, we'll see that the positive to the negative of do not commit adultery is to wholly give yourself in intimacy to your spouse. That is the positive to the negative, do not commit adultery. There's a challenge here that we are to give of ourselves completely to our spouse. That Paul would write, we're coming to Proverbs, but as we're getting there, uh, Paul would write in, uh, to the Corinth, uh, to the church in Corinth, that we are to not abstain from sexual relations with our spouse, except for maybe specific moments where we pray and we are fasting. But we are to give ourselves fully over uh, to our spouse. And so Proverbs chapter 5, I just realized I'm not there, so give me a moment to flip there. I want to read Proverbs 5. We're only going to focus on a few verses, uh, but I, want, I do want to read uh, at least starting in verse 1 for no other reason than we see value in just reading Scripture, and we believe that Proverbs 5 is a, probably a text that would be encouraging and helpful for us all to go and read as we begin to think about this teaching on adultery, understanding that Proverbs is written by Solomon to his sons and to his sons. So it's a father-to-son conversation that is happening here in Proverbs chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. He even says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is a bitter as a wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Now, time out for a second. This is not a conversation of just him talking to his son about women in general. All right? He is not talking negatively about women. He is specifically talking about the one who would entice him into adultery. So he's specifically talking about the enticement specifically into adultery. So uh, Solomon is not being negative towards women, but in fact, he's very, being very honorable, but specifically is warning his son against the temptation of adultery. Verse 7, And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth, Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their feel of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers and incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. You see, Solomon's describing the result that often comes and the hurt and the brokenness that will come from this adultery. Verse 15, he now is giving a challenge to him. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. This is very poetic language to say, hey, allow the passions and the desires that God has given us in a good way to be faithful towards your spouse. 
Should your springs be scattered abroad? This is speaking to adultery. Streams of water in the streets, meaning are you to go and give yourself and your purity and your water? He's relating that water and that sexual intimacy. Are you to go give it to others in the streets? And he challenges no. Verse 17, listen to this. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Listen to this. And now here, let me give the truth. God's guide to sexual intimacy. Here's a few statements I want to give to that. The first is, in the Bible, sex isn't just permitted, it is commanded. Look at verse 17. Let them be for yourself alone and not for your strangers with you. Let your fountains be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Now, side note, this is very poetic. I've never compared my wife to a deer, right? But this is poetic language, all right? So don't, don't get lost in that. But it's very explicit in direct language when he says this, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Here's what I want us to see as we look about the importance of sexual purity and that God's guide towards sexual intimacy is that we understand that in the context of marriage, that God has given uh, sexual intimacy as a gift, and it's not something that is just permitted, but it's something that is commanded. It's commanded for a number of reasons because God has created both male and female for the intimacy that comes within the context of marriage. And so as we begin to talk, continue to talk through this, I want us to see that sex is a joy and a delight. It's not just for the, for the sake of procreation, which I'm so grateful, and there's a command to go be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so we understand that God has created us in biology for the sake of procreation, but He's also given it to us in pleasure. Why? Because sex is a blessing. And everyone said amen, Right? But what I mean by blessing, I mean it in this sense. Yes, maybe in the joy and the delight side of things, but also when we look at Adam and Eve and we look in the context of marriage, sex is a blessing because it is a covenant-making act to show our complete commitment to another person. It's a covenant-making act to show our complete commitment to another person. When we begin to talk about sexual purity, and we even work with our definition that any form of sexual immorality that violates the context of marriage, we're speaking of physical, we're speaking of emotional, and we're speaking of even mental relational that we have with other someone else outside of our, our spouse. We're talking about emotional adultery. We're talking about physical sexual adultery. We're talking about all those different things. Why? Because in the context of marriage, the vulnerability that comes in sexual intimacy to where you can be naked with someone and not ashamed is, to, is supposed to be an act of, yes, intimacy, but it's an act that builds trust because you are, now, you are saying, I am vulnerable to you. And there's an incredible blessing, listen to this, there's an incredible blessing to be fully known by someone else and to be fully loved by that person also. And in sexual intimacy, you are fully vulnerable with another person. And so outside of the context of marriage and sexual intimacy, yes, you are physically vulnerable with them, but what you're saying is, I'm not willing to be relationally vulnerable with you. I'm not willing to be financially vulnerable with you. I'm not willing to give other parts of my life to you. I'm only willing to give this part of my life. And instead of sexual intimacy in the context of marriage, that vulnerability is supposed to build trust and you give your life over to someone else. And it's, it represents this covenant relationship with that person, not only physical, but financial and emotional and relational and all these things. But when it's done outside of marriage, 
What it does is it actually does the opposite. It says that I don't trust you with other parts of my life, but I'll give this aspect of you, but I actually don't trust you with everything else. But it's supposed to be an act of vulnerability and covenant making actually becomes an act of separation to say, you, I only trust you with this. And what it does is it creates brokenness and hurt along the way. And so, yes, we would say, which I know this is not a popular teaching, even within sometimes within Christians, is that God calls us to be sexually pure and to abstain from sexual activity until we're in the context of covenant marriage. Not only is adultery, as remember as we defined it, any form of sexual immorality that violates the context of marriage. This would be uh, what Scripture calls, when we're going to read a text in a moment that says sexual immorality and adultery back to back. And those two words within the Greek language often deal with out sexual immorality is often the word that is used when speaking to sexual acts that are outside of marriage. So sexual immorality, fornication, those are specific words that says, hey, you are involved in sexual promiscuity outside of the context of marriage. And adultery is the specific word that is used to deal with those acts by a married person. But it's not to say that sexual immorality is only adultery. What it is specific to say is that there is sexual immorality that happens within the context of marriage, when, which is specifically the word adultery, and as well as sexual immorality that happens outside of the context of marriage because God has designed it to be a blessing, meaning a covenant-making act to show our complete commitment to someone in the context of complete commitment, marriage. You're fully vulnerable in every way, and yet are safe. Begin to think about the intimacy and the design of, specifically, we look at Ephesians 5 and see how God designed marriage to be a display of the gospel. And we recognize not, uh, not to, uh, it, this is metaphorical and illustrative, but when we begin to think about sexual intimacy, it is to speak to the intimacy that we have in our relationship with Christ. When, when we say statements and sing statements, and make statements like Psalm 16:11 that in your presence there is fullness of joy at your high hand are pleasures forevermore what we're saying is is that there's no place we'd rather be than in your presence that this world and marriage and in sexual intimacy gives us a picture of joy and pleasure and what it means to know someone in an intimate way and to be with someone in an intimate way, that all it's supposed to do is to point to the joy and the intimacy that we have in Christ. Therefore, that, that freedom of knowing that I am fully known by Christ and loved by Him, that I am fully safe, I can trust Him with my entire life. Sexual intimacy is a blessing because it's supposed to model that covenant-making relationship. And so, because God has given us uh, this guide towards sexual intimacy and has laid out what it is, we recognize that do not commit adultery is a challenge to also recognize that God gives us guardrails for our purity. So when we talk about the overall truth right here in truth number one, live in sexual purity, we understand that it's a gift God's given us. God's given us a guide for it, and He has given us guardrails to protect it. Guardrails to protect it. I want to make this statement because a lot of times I get this conversation, and, and I want to speak to singles in the room maybe for a second because um, a lot of times when we talk about adultery, that's, it's, it's oftentimes a pretty clear uh, definition that is sexual relations with anyone other than your spouse. And then based off our definition, we would say any form of physical, emotional intimacy with outside of your spouse. But one of the questions I often get by singles, maybe in a dating relationship, is questions like this. Hey, how far, pastor, is too far? 
Like, I want to be faithful to the Lord. Like, I want to walk in sexual purity in my singleness. So how far is too far? And I want to say this, that if you're asking that question, you're probably off base already. And I want to make this statement, that sexual purity is a direction, not a line. Because if it's a line, and it's like, oh, well, if I cross it, I'm into sexual immorality, but right here on this side of the line, I'm safe, then I know our sinful nature is that we tend to, we tend to get right up close to that line. And if we're not careful, if we treat sexual purity like a line, like I'm in sexual purity, I'm no longer in sexual purity, then I had a pastor uh, who said to me all the time, and it's just so true, is that all of us, um, and I'm going to say this in a respectful way, but all of us are one step from stupid. And I, I, as a pastor, am very much, and if I'm not careful, if I treat purity like a line, then I'm just one step away from doing something really dumb. And so purity is not a line that we go, hey, we can get as close as we can, but instead it's a direction. It's recognizing that and when it comes to sexual, uh, sexual ethics and God's teaching on sexual ethics is that ultimately that God desires for us to be holy, not happy. Now, we very much believe that in God's presence in Him, I believe that it's in Christ we have full satisfaction and full happiness. But when we talk about happiness in the temporal sense, that you want to give in and be happy in this moment, God cares way more about your holiness. And so the guardrails that God gives us is a direction towards purity. It's a direction to choose Him. There's always two options. Either I'm going to honor God or I'm going to honor myself in this activity, especially when it comes to sexual purity. And so I want to challenge us, single and married alike, is that God gives us guardrails towards purity and is a direction. God gives us guardrails. Let me make this second statement. God gives us guardrails, guardrails to protect us, not to prevent us. I think sometimes we look at God's teaching on uh, sexual intimacy and we just feel like, oh, God's just preventing me from stuff. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, I do very much, I'm grateful for the joy and the blessing of sexual intimacy, but very much so I believe that God is protecting us from us with these guardrails. When he makes statements of like, hey, have no sexual relations outside of the context of marriage, he is protecting us. I very much believe so. I remember being a teenager and um, someone coming and teaching on this topic. And once again, as, as a teenager, I, I, was, I was very attentive. I didn't, need an Ill, I didn't need a great introduction to captivate my attention. I, I, was, I was quite attentive. And when he was teaching on this topic, and I was convicted to recognize that God was calling me to faithfulness and to purity before marriage. And so I made a covenant that I was, I was going to respect that purity and that I recognized that I believed that God was protecting me from hurt and from pain. And so I made a commitment that I would uh, stay sexually pure until the moment I gave my, myself over to my wife Here's some verses that came along with this, and I'm going to come back to that point in just a moment. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, God gives us guardrails to protect us, not just to prevent us from something good. But 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, but... That no one may transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. 
Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let, mar- let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Remember, I said those two words are going to be used together. Here's the verse. And they're specifically recognizing that to keep the marriage bed undefiled, that's not just saying don't commit adultery. What it's also saying is protect the marriage bed and your sexual purity prior to ever coming into the marriage bed. Sexual immorality is the word used outside of the context of marriage, and then right after it, adultery, the word used in the context of marriage. They mean the same thing. It's just the context is different. So it makes it clear to us he's not just speaking about adultery. He's speaking about sexual purity in singleness and in marriage. Proverbs 6.32, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He destroys himself. But our text we were just reading in Proverbs 5, it goes on to say this in verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. When I make the statement that God gives us guardrails for sexual purity to protect us, it's because of verses like Proverbs 5.21. If you read all of Proverbs 5, Solomon is telling his sons that there is danger and there is hurt in sexual immorality that I'm telling you to be faithful for your protection. This is how God's designed it, to be in the safety of marriage. It is for your protection to what? Live in sexual purity. So the commandment, do not commit adultery, is very specific, but Jesus would even broaden it to speak to all sexual immorality. And this applies to, once again, both single and married. And the challenge is that we are to live in sexual purity purity, the way God's designed it to be, and trust that it is for your good and your protection, not because God's trying to hold out on you, but instead he recognizes that this was created for a special moment. Truth number two overall, first live in sexual purity, second, and this will be quicker, is make dramatic decisions to live in sexual purity. Our primary text, Matthew chapter 5, let's go, let's jump back to it. Matthew 5 verse 29 If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, in the context of Matthew chapter 5, we will see that Jesus uses metaphor and hyperbole. So no way do I actually believe Jesus is saying that we are to walk around with one hand and a patch on our eye. But I do believe Jesus is making it very clear that we are to make dramatic and tough decisions to walk in sexual purity. Dramatic and tough decisions. And so here, here's where application comes for us as we begin to think about, okay, once again, this was a uh, far from exhaustive teaching on a biblical sex ethic, but to challenge us that God has given us sex as a good thing, to honor it in a healthy way, but to walk in that sexual purity, especially if we define it as any uh, sexual immorality that violates the context of marriage. So we're talking about physical uh, adultery, sexual relationships. We're talking about pornography. We're talking about emotional connections and intimacy that goes beyond that relationship that was, or that was designed just for our spouse. There are levels that we're dealing with here. And I'm here, the first one to tell you that this text applies to me. As we begin to talk about that you're not to have lust in your hearts, then I'm just being honest. There's not, there, I've not gone my whole marriage 
and not had lust in my heart in some way. And so I'm, I'm here vulnerable and being honest to go, this is a text that applies to all of us, that we are to walk in this sexual faithfulness and purity and make dramatic decisions to do so. And so what does it mean for you? What dramatic decision does it mean for you that you, in God's grace right now, is maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you that you need to walk in sexual purity? One of the advice that I give many of times to, to men and women who may be struggling specifically, let's say, with pornography, is, hey, man, if you can't handle this, it's time for a flip phone. It's time for a flip phone. And sometimes there, I've seen people and I've seen men and women both go, you know what, I, I can't handle the smartphone. And so they go to the flip phone, and I've seen, them make, I've seen people make fun of them. Man, why you got a flip phone? Don't you know, like technology? But I look at that moment, and I, I just have nothing but honor and respect. Because here's the thing, is God desires our holiness. And sometimes this text Jesus is saying is make dramatic decisions to walk in sexual purity. I mentioned to you that I, uh, as a teenager, committed to, to be sexually pure uh, and to stay a virgin all the way till I was married. And that's tough. Let's be honest. That's tough. And if you're in here and you're not married, I want to encourage you to make that covenant. I had someone recently, I was having, about two weeks ago, I was having a conversation with someone as we we're just kind of someone new getting to know, and they're telling our life story. We're telling about family and different thing. Um, and uh, one of the most common questions I get when I tell my life story, and I, you know, the, it, I mentioned that I got married, and they're like, how long have you been married? And I'm like, we've been married almost 12 years. I'm like, how old are you, 32? And they're like, whoa, you got married at 20? Like, there's this moment of like, that's really young. Like, that's really early. I'm like, yeah, and they're like, oh. People in the South, they just do that. And I'm like, well, I, people in the South sometimes can get married quicker than people in the North, but still 20s early. Let's just be, I mean, 20s early. It's still common for you to finish college and get stable and some of those things. But, but here's, let me be honest. Someone goes, well, why did you get married so early? Well, for a number of reasons. The Lord provided me the job. I provided for my family. But there, there was a really honest answer in there, too, is that Scripture says that it's better for you to get married than to burn with passion and singleness. And I knew that God had called me to faithfulness. And so I'll just be honest. I knew I was going to marry Jenna, but I wasn't going to make it the four years of college. I, I just, let's just be honest. Thank you. Like, we can laugh at that. And I warned my wife that I was going to say that, which is probably why she volunteered to work with kiddos this afternoon, because she wasn't working with kiddos before. But I'm just being honest. There's a moment when I'm having a conversation with her parents and my parents and some of my pastors, and they're like, hey, it'd be really wise if y'all finish, at least one of you finish college, because I was a freshman, she was a sophomore. Like, one of you should finish college so you have a good, stable job. And I've just said, you know what, I'll just be honest, holiness matters to me, and I'm just going to trust the Lord on this. And so the Lord has provided, and I've gone on, and I've college and master's, and now I can't seem to get out of school because I love it, and I'm a nerd, and all those things. But the point was, I'm just being honest. For me, that was a, that was a tough, dramatic decision. Our first year of marriage, we filed $20,000 on our taxes. That's not a lot of money, but the Lord provided. Because why? For us, we said holiness matters more than cultural expectations. And so I, I don't say that to condemn. What I say that to say is, I made a dramatic decision in my life for the sake of holiness. And since then, I've had dramatic decisions in my life where I've had at times to get rid of my smartphone early on in marriage because I used to think that that was an issue, that once I got married, it wouldn't be a problem for me anymore. Wrong. Because at the end of the day, it's sin in my heart. So there have been moments where I've had to make other dramatic decisions to walk in the sexual period that God calls us. And I'm here as your pastor. And if that shocked you to go, man, my pastor's got sin, well, yeah. 
But I hope that I'm, I'm being honest for the sake of being vulnerable to tell you it's worth it. Sexual faithfulness and purity is worth it, and marriage to be faithful to your spouse is worth it. Both male and female, it is worth it. The flip phone is worth it. Getting married is worth it. So here's a challenge I want to give, and I, I just really, I thought about this, and I just, I just want to say this, is I, I do believe whether you're single and sexual purity, I, I want to even challenge that I know it's a cohabitation with those that aren't single, I mean, with those that aren't married, is, is a common thing in our culture. And I want to very lovingly challenge you that if you're in that situation, consider marriage. Consider marriage. And I want to say this. I want to step out there and go, not in any condemnation, but in love to go, we want to support you in that. I'm making a commitment to you. That if you're in this situation where you go, you know what, I, I know that I need to get married to honor the sexual purity that God's calling me to, I make two commitments, three commitments to you. One, I will walk with you in pre-marriage counseling. I will walk with you in that journey. I'll be honored to marry you for your pursuit of holiness and faithfulness. I, I mean New Hope, will pay for your marriage, uh, marriage license, and we will give you $500 towards a honeymoon if you'll step into that faithfulness. Bold statement. But it's one of the positives of us being a generous church is we want to step in and go, we want to support you in that. Now, some of you are going like, I want to, I want to renew my vows. No, no, no. No, no. Not talking to you. Not talking to you. Like, I'll, I'll renew my vows, go on that honeymoon. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm stepping out here to just honestly go, like, we want to support you. We want to honor you. We want to help you. And if you're in that situation, you go, but what, I'm not quite ready to get married for various reasons, then we, want to, we recognize that for many, I've had conversations about cohabitation and go, honestly, we just can't afford to live separate. I, I get the New York's a whole nother world. I get that expense-wise. But, but we want to help you. We want to walk with you in any way we can. And there is no condemnation in this, but there is the statement to go, we, we want to help you walk in that sexual purity. So with that being said, I want to end with this. Three practical pieces of advice as you continue to walk in sexual purity. It's simply ABCs. First is you need accountability in your life. You need accountability. Gentlemen, especially, uh, you, you need other men to get up in your grill and have some tough conversations. Ladies need it too. Ladies need it too. But ladies need other ladies to talk to them and that you can talk to. And men, you need other, other guys to get up in your grill. You need some accountability. You need two. You need boundaries. And that boundary may mean I need a flip phone. Or I can't, be in, I can't be around this person anymore. Or I need to change my proximity to a workplace with another person because there's, just, there's some unhealthy emotions that are forming with this person at work, and I need to change that. Make those dramatic decisions. You need accountability. You need boundaries. But at the end of the day, C is you need to consecrate yourself over to the Lord. We say that one of the marks of maturity for a Christian within our church that we believe Scripture teaches is that we live surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Consecration is just a fancy word for surrender, but ABCs, it fit, right? I need ABCs, easy to remember for you. But it means that you surrender to the Lord, because at the end of the day, your sinful flesh is going to reign and rule unless you're surrendered to the Lord. Surrender yourself to the Lord and walk in that purity. As you think about accountability, I, I want to say this. You need accountability with people who you live life with, Oftentimes, I come out of these conversations, and I'll get three, four, five, six emails from men specifically who say, hey, can we chat? And out of this conversation, because they hear me say that there's nothing but grace for you, so they trust me and ask me to be their accountability partners. And I just need to tell you, I can't be all your accountability partners. 
But hear me say on behalf of those men and those women that you live life with is that they will be as gracious to you as me. And if they're not, come talk to me. Because church family, oh, we need to respond with grace and truth and hardness and, and like hardness and being strong, not mean, but strong. But if someone comes to you this week and, and confesses a sin of sexual immorality, then walk with them in grace and truth. But you need someone in accountability. Boundaries, they need to be specific. If you're married, those boundaries need to be something your spouse is involved in. You need to give permission to your spouse to set those boundaries. And then you need to walk every day consecrated to the Lord. And here's the beauty. God cares about our holiness as we read up here in this text in First Thessalonians. God cares about our holiness. And praise be to God that you and I are not holy because of our own actions, but we're holy because of Jesus' actions. We're holy because Christ laid down his life. And here's the beauty is that you are fully known. When we talk about sexual immorality, it's one of those things that we just fear that our worst sins we put up there on the screen for others to see. That vulnerability, would, it, this is, it frightens us. But here's the truth. Jesus knows it all and still loves you. He cares for you. And so I pray that you would surrender your life to him. Would you bow with me? And I want to lead us in a time of just response. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.